The numbers are just huge, staggering, mind-boggling. It's understandable why people would be incredibly concerned about this. The situation is grim, and it's getting grimmer, not likely to change anytime soon. But the reasons to be concerned about it are not what you think they'd be. U.S. GDP increased by about a trillion and a half in the year of 2023, at least according to the latest figures from the BAA. Nominal GDP was about $26.8 trillion at the end of the year, an increase of about a trillion and a half since the end of 2022. It doesn't mean that exactly a trillion and a half increase in GDP, but we're, we're just using rough numbers here. Now, the federal government's debt and the amount held by the public was $26.3 trillion as of the third quarter, the latest figure. So not even the entire year. Yet it had been $24.5 trillion at the end of 2022. By my math... Through only three quarters, the amount of debt held by the public increased by $1.8 trillion, which was a substantially more than the increase in nominal GDP. And it is these types of figures, again, we're not comparing apples to apples here, we're just using, we're using these numbers as a rough outline, and it is these types of absolutely huge figures which have people talking, upset, concerned about the future, maybe even the immediate future. Because however no, however you want to categorize the numbers and however you want to measure them, the truth is the U.S. federal deficit got absolutely huge last year at the same time the nominal economy actually slowed down. How can this not be a huge problem? As one article earlier this year put it, when it could turn into a more dire situation is anyone's guess, says Shai Akabas, Director of Economic Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center. But if and when that happens, it could mean very significant consequences that occur very quickly. It could mean spikes in interest rates. It could mean a recession that leads to lots of unemployment. It could lead to another bout of inflation or weird goings on with consumer prices, several of which are things we've experienced just in the past few years. And I think that's the impression many people have. Government deficits are highly inflationary. Too many treasuries, exploding, exploding the treasury market, interest rates skyrocket, consumer prices way out of control. But is that actually the case? Is inflation and higher interest rates what we should be concerned most about as the government goes even more insane than it has? Well, the answer, likely to surprise you. Some of this starts back in the Great Inflation. There is a school of thought out there that it was the combination of M Lyndon Johnson's Vietnam War and his Great Society, which was the giveaway to do the, great, the Vietnam War, which led to the Great Inflation as it was. So a huge increase in government deficits in the middle of the 1960s, voila, consumer prices get out of control. And ever since then, this idea that government deficits are highly inflationary has taken hold, even though the data shows at best there's no relationship and at worst it may be the opposite. In other words, which causes what? It depends upon circumstances. Milton Friedman, at the tail end of the Great Inflation in 1981, wrote an article in Newsweek magazine which he said... Government deficits can and sometimes do contribute to inflation. However, the relation between deficits and inflation is far looser than is widely believed. Moreover, the major harm that deficits do is to foster irresponsible government spending. That much sums up exactly what we should be afraid about 
not just in 2023 or 2024, but moving ahead. As politicians show time and time again, they have no restraint. Why would they have restraint? They're politicians. They want to buy your vote. As, as they have no restraint, they're going to continue to go in this direction. The idea that deficits are a financial matter or a market matter is just simply unfounded. And the reason it's unfounded is because the issue is not inflation or really interest rates. Let's go back to Friedman in 1981. A few facts will illustrate the uneasy connection of deficits with inflation. The current federal deficit in 1981 is running between 2 and 3% of our national income. Japan's current deficit is running about 6% of its national income, or two to three times ours. Germany's about 2%, or roughly the same as ours. Yet both Japan and Germany now have, and for some years have had, lower inflation rates than we. Large federal deficits in the United States accompanied inflation in both world wars. However, the, full, the first full fiscal year after World War I, the government had a surplus and consumer prices rose nearly 25%. Yet in 1932 and 1933, federal deficits ran about 5% of national income, yet prices fell drastically. Here you have two very good examples at the polar opposite ends of the spectrum. Massive surplus after World War I, and consumer prices are surging. Massive amounts of inflation. Huge huge government deficits in the early years of the 1930s, which obviously would continue with the New Deal, yet prices continued to fall. In fact, they collapsed in the early 1930s, and they never recovered despite the New Deal, despite massive increases in deficit throughout the 1930s. There isn't on the surface a direct connection between government deficits and causing either inflation or deflation. What Friedman was getting at in these examples was in these, both of these cases, the deficits were caused by either inflation or deflation. They were a reaction to or a response to those rather than leading to them. And it was more. I mean, more recently in the, in the Great Inflation, inflation was 7% in 1975, Friedman said, when the deficit was 5.6% of the national income and 6.1% in 1969 when there was an actual surplus of 1% of the national income. The years of highest inflation, 1974 and 1979, had deficits in the neighborhood of 1% of the national income. So there isn't necessarily a huge increase in the deficit leads to a major bout of inflation or some other direction. It is, as, as Friedman pointed out, a much looser connection than we're led to believe because it maybe in an intuitive sense, it does sound like it should be inflationary. The government is spending money that it doesn't have. Therefore, it's introducing a higher, a higher level of aggregate demand. It's pushing money out into the economy that wouldn't otherwise be there. How can that not be inflationary? And Friedman gave us the answer, the thing that we really need to be afraid of. As he continued, both borrowing and taxes crowd out private spending, absorbing resources that might otherwise be used for private consumption or productive capital investment. Because when the government gets involved in either redistribution in the form of transfer payments or in direct spending itself, such as in the shovel-ready projects of the 2009-2010 ARRA bill, we all know the government is absolutely atrocious at resource and income reallocation. 
In fact, it is ultimately harmful at those tasks. History has shown repeatedly, when the government gets involved in the economy, bad things inevitably follow. And those bad things are unproductive and non-economic distortions, which sounds a lot like 2020 and 2021 to an even greater degree than we saw before. What Friedman was trying to say, what history actually shows, is that government deficits can, at times, depending upon circumstances, exacerbate the current problems. In other words, in the great inflation period, when the U.S. government ran substantial deficits all throughout, you know, doesn't didn't matter which administration was involved or which party was in the White House or in Congress, it was a bipartisan failure because it's always a bipartisan failure. We had massive de deficits in the 1970s, which likely contributed something to the great inflation. Big part of the problem was Federal Reserve policymakers were blaming fiscal deficits for the inflation and therefore looking at the money supply and thinking, well, we can't define it, so maybe there's no problem there. It must be the fiscal, fiscal problem. It led to confusion on top of making the situation worse because it isn't about the fiscal deficit. It's the, it's the circumstances in which they arise or why they arise. In the case of, for example, the 2010s, the fiscal deficit arose because the economy fell into a deflationary uh, period. We had a massive recession. The government does what the Keynesian textbooks tell them to do. Massive increase in deficit spending. And the results were not inflationary, not a skyrocketing period of interest rates. They were same as we see in Japan. So it depends upon circumstances. In fact, if you go through the trajectory in history, of U.S. federal government deficits, especially as they relate to as a, as a percentage or proportion of GDP, what you see is maybe some surprising results. Start in 1966, at the very beginning of the Great Inflation, but also the federal government ramping up its deficits and debts. 1966, the, the U.S. debt as percent of GDP was about 40.3%. By the end of 1969, despite that huge increase in deficits, deficits as a debt as a percent of GDP was down to 35 and a half, which which was because the great inflation had got started and nominal GDP was rising faster than the deficits were. In other words, the deficits weren't causing the inflation. They may have been making it worse. But as a result, nominal GDP was growing faster than the debts. By the time you get to 1974, the end of 1974, the ratio of, GD, of debt to GDP was just 30.8%. So during the first half of the great inflation, debts to GDP actually declined, which is the opposite of what most people are led to believe. In fact, you get to the end of 1981 or the second quarter of 1981, toward the end of the great inflation, around the time when Milton Friedman was writing his article, debt to GDP was still around 30.7%. It hadn't changed much through the rest of the great inflation. The deficits didn't cause it, and maybe in the second half of the 70s, they contributed something to it, but that's not the overriding factor. That's not the cause. That's not the primary independent variable. And we continued through the 1980s, a period which are remembered correctly for being a robust economic renaissance. Debt to GDP by 1991 had surged to 57.4%. Despite the fact that consumer price increases decelerated throughout the 1980s, which meant that nominal GDP was slowing down at the same time deficits were actually rising because, as sad as it might be to admit, Ronald Reagan was no deficit hawk. In fact, the deficits got bigger in the 80s than they had been in the 70s. Yet, the economy boomed anyway. 
Because while nominal GDP was slowing, real GDP was surging, and it had nothing to do with the government's debts, nor did inflation. Uh, debt to GDP ratios would, uh, would peak around 65% in the mid 90s, though again, no surge in inflation. And then we had disinflation throughout the rest of the 1990s, the second half of the 1990s, which was also associated with a booming economy that allowed the federal government to cut its deficit. We actually had a sort of accounting-led surplus in the late 1990s, early 2000s. But even then, by 2001, the debt-to-GDP ratio dropped down to 54%, which meant that it was declining during that period, yet there was no, it had no bearing on the economic circumstances. Now, the debt to GDP would rise to 61.8% by the third quarter of 2007, reflecting some of the changes in the early 21st century, including the misadventures in Iraq, as well as some other Keynesian techniques and tax cuts related to the dot-com recession. But then what happens? 2008, we had a surge, a surge, a real surge in debts and of course, debt to GDP rose to 80% by the second quarter of 2009, driven by George W. Bush telling us that you give me complete authority to borrow as, money, as many hundreds of billions as I possibly can to do TARP, otherwise it'll be Great Depression 2.0. Well, we got the deflation, we got the massive amounts of, of recession, call it a recession if you will, it's actually a depression, and yet... GD, uh, debt to GDP skyrocketed because government deficits did, and it neither created recovery nor did it lead to inflation or a huge surge in interest rates, as many of the critics were claiming at the time. It did the opposite because like the 1930s, the deficits were introduced into a period where deflation and safety and liquidity and all the negative, negative factors in the economy were rampant. It wasn't about the deficit. The deficit was a response to what was happening. And by the early part of 2013, debt to GDP crossed that magical 100% threshold, which proved that it wasn't magical and there's actually nothing really all that, all that meaningful about 100% debt to GDP, which again tells us that we're, we're, we're looking in the wrong direction here. In fact, debt to GDP remained around 100% through the rest of the 2010s, which were not inflationary, despite the constant assurances that they would turn out to be, whether through the economy, the Phillips curve, according to the Fed, or because of those who rightly look at the deficits and think that this is wrong, and it's got to lead to something bad at some point. Well, that, that, that didn't happen. It didn't happen because it's not about debt to GDP. It's not about the government debt. It's about the economic and monetary circumstances that underlie them. And of course, now we're getting up to around 120 some percent, huge increase in debts uh, related to the pandemic. And they have remained high all throughout. So even if debt to GDP isn't the perfect measure here, it does capture what we're trying to really analyze, which is the federal government's deficits in relation to economic circumstances. And what we see is that more often than not, debt to GDP is a response because debt is a response to economic circumstances. And in 2023, heading into 2024, and we can see the difference in the marketplace too. The treasury market is telling us with, in unequivocal terms about what is, really, what is really at issue here in the economy. It's not inflationary pressures from an overactive government. We've had the overactive government for 15 years. 
and it didn't lead to a bout of Great Inflation 2.0. We had a consumer price outbreak in 2021 and 2022 that was more about supply restrictions than it was anything else. And now as those supply restrictions get worked out, we have growing recessions around the rest of the world, which suggest the supply shock is the dominant economic factor. And as the supply shock reaches its downside, that is the determining factor in all of these matters, not the government's deficits. And it, you can argue in the long run, as Friedman was arguing, that government deficits matter in how they they lead to overspending over the longer term. The politicians get used to increasing levels of spending and they never go back, which is absolutely the case. And the more the government spends, the worse it is in the, in the real economy because the government is absolutely awful in terms of redistributing resources, whether it be in terms of transfer receipts or spending. But either way, the treasury market itself is telling us this is not inflationary. The dominant factor is the supply shock. And we've been reminded of this several times recently with this constant focus on treasury auctions. Yet treasury auctions prove time and time again to not matter. Remember the 30-year bond auction, the horrific one last November? Everybody said, this is it. This is the point at which the treasury deficits finally matter. And it leads to skyrocketing in interest rates as well as restarted inflation. And none of it actually happened. We had a couple of auctions this week, the two-year and five-year. Both were characterized as poor. The U.S. government, the Treasury Department, is raising the allocation of notes, especially in that part of the curve, the two-year, the three-year, the five-year, the seven-year. Massive amounts of, of debt being sold, record amounts in those maturities. And it doesn't matter. Rates on U.S. Treasuries are today about where they were when we started this misadventure at the end of 2022. In fact, they're a little bit lower in some cases. And, what that, and that's despite the fact the Federal Reserve has raised its policy targets by about 100 basis points in the same period. In fact, all of the excuses that we heard all along to ignore low interest rates have been either absent or the opposite over the last year as the federal government's deficits have exploded. The Federal Reserve is not buying. There is no QE going on. There are no regulations that are forcing pension funds or something to buy U.S. Treasuries. That hasn't changed. Instead, demand for all of these instruments, all of these Treasuries remains regardless of the supply coming into the marketplace. Sadly, it isn't the market that is going to tame the politicians. That's going to be up to the voters. And the reason is, in this set of circumstances that we're dealing with, it looks more like the 2010s than the 1970s. Therefore, the government's, the, the real contribution from the federal government going insane is to make the bad situation worse in that direction. Mean to harm the, the, the really the global economy, but the, the U.S. economy by reallocating resources in an unproductive fashion. In fact, that's really what the downside of supply shock has been all about. The fact that the governments in expanding their deficits in 2020 and 2021, while it looked like a recovery at the time, it looked like a good idea, maybe there was a moral case to be had for it, it also led to enormous distortions, unproductive measures that we're going to have to pay for. And we're going to have to pay for it in the real economy, not as inflation or higher interest rates, but as, in my view, 
deflationary recession, like we're seeing spread throughout the global economy already. We just don't have the deflationary part, though we do have a number of recessions. So despite the huge, mind-boggling numbers from the federal government, massive amounts of borrowing, an intuitive sense that that must be inflationary, history shows it's more about the circumstances behind the deficits that ultimately determines what, what ultimately determines how much additional trouble governments will in introduce. If you want to see more about why the bond auctions don't actually matter, especially that 30-year bond auction, that's the video I've got linked below. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University members and subscribers. And until next time, take care.